Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for February 20th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a handful of news items, including the trailer to Darren Brown's Push, a new Netflix uh, reality movie, docudrama, whatever you want to call it. We'll talk about it. Uh, Also, Jessica Chastain has been cast in the It sequel, and Black Panther has been destroying the box office, literally. Not literally. Figuratively? Figuratively. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, yes, in our feature presentation, we're going to be talking all about Black Panther. So if you have seen the movie, like many people out there have, um, we're going to be talking about how does Black Panther set up the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? What does it mean for the this uh, this universe? Uh, joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. And this is, as always, uh, Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Uh, let's just jump into the news. Um, first off, this trailer from Netflix for a uh, TV special, TV movie. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, reality movie. I know that they, you know, in 2003, MTV released this reality movie called uh, The Real Cancun, which was a, a spectacular disaster of sorts um so i I don't know what you'd call this but uh it seems interesting so ben tell us about it yeah it's a uh i guess just a a reality special maybe is what we'll call it um and the it's called the push and it hails from a psychological illusionist from the uk named darren brown who is apparently one of the world's greatest mentalists and he has been making shows in the uk for a number of years uh and he's popular in america as well but this is his first big american special um so instead of uh, it's like a hidden camera thing but instead of doing something stupid to a celebrity like trying to trick justin timberlake into thinking that all of his assets are being seized by the government uh this show is about trying to convince somebody to murder someone so uh yeah they really um they crank this thing up to 11 pretty quickly uh there the trailer is pretty nuts it's all just like a completely straight-faced um set up for literally trying to convince somebody to kill someone. There's like a a 70 person team of actors who 
create this entire scenario that spins further and further out of control with one unsuspecting uh, subject who has no idea that they're involved in any of this and they're just like watching their world uh, spin out of control right around them. And uh, I guess the end game of the experiment is to see if they would actually push somebody off of a huge ledge and kill them. Um, and it's all about, uh, you know, it's, it reminds me a lot of the movie Compliance that came out back in 2012. It's just like a psychological experiment to see how far a normal person would go uh, in the face of, uh, you know, societal pressures and authority and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, this looks pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, Darren. Brown, this isn't the first time Darren Brown has done something like this. And in the UK, uh, a few years back, he had this uh, special called Apocalypse, where he. Um, it, it's actually very interesting. If you have not seen this, it's available to watch for free on Darren Brown's YouTube page, and it's uh, this two episode special uh, where he he basically was casting his own uh, like a, a new show in the UK, and he basically you know had all these people come in for auditions, and uh, when they auditioned, they signed this like long form, basically giving up all rights to you know any footage they captured of them, uh, which basically meant that like you know these people thought that they didn't get the gig. And uh, one of these guys, um, through hypnosis, I'm not sure if it's real or not, but basically wakes up during a zombie apocalypse. And through hidden cameras, basically, we follow this guy for like 30 minutes uh, trying to survive in like, you know, insane situations, like truly insane situations. Like, it, it, is, it, it is like, yeah, a reality movie. Um I, I, I'm interested to see more of this because I think uh, it's insane. Like one, if one thing went wrong, you know, if the guy realized, you know, what was happening, the whole, you know, it's it's a house of cards that would completely fall apart. Um, right. So, uh, like, I'm wondering if they did this to multiple people to come up with this this, um, you know, the special or this movie, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, Brad, do you have any thoughts on this? You know, it's I, I haven't seen any of this guy's stuff, but. I've always, like, every now and then I've thought of ideas where, like, it would be interesting to see how people would genuinely react in situations that seem like there would be no way to actually fake it and get someone's real reaction or decision in, like, uh, very unique scenarios like this. So I'm kind of fascinated to see what this is and how how real it is uh, because it, it seems like a fascinating concept. It seems very... Uh, obviously deceptive and uh, potentially traumatic, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm very intrigued by this. Chris, any thoughts on this? I don't know. Maybe I'm too much of a nerd or something, but I feel like this is like needlessly cruel. Like I don't know if someone like <laughs> if someone like played a trick like this on me, like, and then at the end they were like, it was all a trick. I'd be furious. I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, why would you? put someone through this but I don't know, maybe that's me well, and again what well, we should say of- I, I don't know about this one but the one for apocalypse they were casting like a reality series that would push people you know to face their fears and to the limit like so basically all the people were signing up for the thing that you know the the, the, the guy that actually went through it he knew or he wanted something you know probably not that 
experience. Uh, This doesn't really look like that. This looks more like this person just happens to get a job working at like a fancy (laughs) event and then a guy fakes a heart attack. And then the whole thing is really, really crazy. But Chris, just for the record, I'm right there with you. I feel like I feel like these experiments have been conducted before. And like we've learned about the societal implications of all this. So doing it again just does really seem needlessly cruel. I don't know. I I, I want to see this. Uh, and if if you have not seen Darren Brown uh, do any of his stuff, I'm not a big person uh, that that likes um. You know, I love magic. I don't really love mentalism and hyp- hypnotism, but like he does some great stuff. He has a, uh, I think a special from like ten years ago called Svengali, which is available to watch on uh, YouTube, and I think that's like re- recorded live on stage. It's it's pretty good. So I, I'd recommend checking that. Out. And also, I'll link in the show notes the apocalypse thing that I was talking about. Uh, you know, it is like, you know, putting a guy inside The Walking Dead. It's it's uh it's crazy. Like, how, how would you react if you actually thought the world was being overcome by zombies? It's uh it's nuts. Um, but let's move on to something a little bit more obvious, and that is we finally have word that Jessica Chastain is in talks for the It sequel. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so pretty much ever since uh, the first It came out last year in 2017, people have been basically fan casting Jessica Chastain in the the role of the adult version of the character of Bev. Uh, I mean, she has already worked with the director on the film Mama, so they have a history together. And in past, people have actually asked her, you know, would you be interested in being in the film? And she's all said, yes, I would. So now uh, it's been confirmed that she is officially finally in talks to take on the role. I mean, she hasn't taken it yet, but uh, it's a good sign that it'll probably happen if everything works out according to plan. And uh, yeah, so the film is due out September 6, 2019, which means they're going to have to start shooting it sooner rather than later. So I'm sure we'll get a confirmation on her casting and the rest of the the adult casting uh, as we go further along. Ben, is this shocking at all? No, not in the least. Um, but it's it's great news because uh, Chastain is a fantastic actress, and the idea of her reuniting um, for this movie also sort of uh, sets a high bar for the rest of the cast. And I know we've we did like a big uh, feature last year when it Chapter One came out, where we had a bunch of um, you know sort of. Uh, pie in the sky picks and then also like more realistic choices but I'm wondering if Chastain is involved if that means that they're going to be able to bring in some other you know people who are on her level and not necessarily have to quote-unquote settle for uh, you know some of the the lower actors that we might have uh, chosen for our list that, that, that is a good question, and we should be finding out this news soon as, as casting is ramping up. Uh, but let's move on to Black Panther. Before we get into spoilers, let's talk about uh, the box office, because Black Panther uh, you know, did enormous box office numbers, surprising even Disney. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, initially, Black Panther's uh, projections leading up to its opening weekend, um, they were big, but... No one was expecting them to be as big as they ended up being. The uh, projections of the week uh, leading up to the release were around 165. As the opening got closer, they were uh, moved up to around 180. Then once the Thursday night preview screenings happened and Friday took off, the the number just kept getting higher. Uh, even as of Sunday, it looked uh, they had you know Disney had their early estimates in, and it still looked like that the numbers by the end of President's Day weekend 
might climb higher. And sure enough, they did. So the uh, the ultimate three day haul for Black Panther's opening weekend was two hundred and one point eight million. That's the fifth largest domestic opening of all time. Um, it's the second highest superhero opening behind the Avengers from 2012. And then as for the the four day President's Day weekend, it actually made two hundred and forty two million. Uh, which shattered the February release record, uh, shattered Deadpool, Deadpool's previously set President's Day weekend record, and it's just it's just a it, huge. It shattered Justice League's whole demo- domestic take, right? Yeah, it, in in four days, it earned more than Justice League did in its entire domestic theatrical run, uh, which is just in, insane, you know, for success for any any movie, but also just. A real bummer for Warner Brothers. <laughs> um, <laughs> like people so, are yeah. probably getting fired. I'm not sure as we speak. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, but yeah, this it's a huge movie. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it has the kind of legs that Wonder Woman did. Um, my my gut tells me that it probably will. There'll, there'll definitely be a big drop in the second weekend, as there are with all blockbusters that open this big. Um, but I think this movie is going to get a uh, go, really go the distance. And yeah, Mar- Marvel obviously has another huge hit on their hands. And it's clear that, you know, audiences want diversity in their their movies, especially blockbusters. And, you know, Hollywood can't make the argument anymore that, you know, predominantly black casts don't pull in audiences at the box office anymore. This movie completely goes against all expectations and, and myths that Hollywood has perpetuated for years. Well, uh, you know, before we get into spoilers, you, you do bring up a good point. Like, does this mean because we're going to be talking about what does Black Panther mean for the future of the MCU? And I'm wondering, Brad, you cover the superhero beat and superhero bits on the site. Uh, do you think that this is going to mean we're going to see more black heroes on screen in the MCU? Yeah, for sure. I, I think I think this is proof that audiences are, are, are hungry for it. And, you know, um the black population has been looking for representation on the superhero side of things for years, especially on the big screen. Uh, you know, we're just we're starting to see the superhero genre expand into being much more diverse. Like, and and Hollywood is also doing doing the same thing, and that's that's good all around for sure. And I uh, I think this means we'll you know we'll likely see some more of uh, Marvel's black superheroes to maybe get a more prominent role, or we'll start to see superheroes that we haven't seen. Uh, on the big screen yet, uh, or at least expanded roles for heroes that we haven't seen in a while. You know, Marvel has the rights to Blade again, so either he'll maybe he'll get a new film franchise, or he'll get his own series on Marvel. Um, you know, War Machine has been in the the MCU for a while, so yeah, maybe he'll. I, I feel like role. I was gonna say I feel like War Machine and Falcon have kind of gotten like you know the shaft. They're 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 kind of like the 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 sidekick guys do you think yeah, do you think now that sure. they this happened that they might actually get a feature film you know the one that i think has a uh, a really good chance of um a big future in the marvel cinematic universe but um is falcon but that also depends on what marvel's plan is for captain america um because we, we know that a lot of the core avengers members are going to be sidelined once the next phase of Marvel Cinematic Universe kicks off, we're not um, we're going to basically see a new lineup of heroes instead of Iron Man and Hulk and um, Captain America and Thor. So, in in the comics, Falcon becomes Captain America. So it would stand to reason that we would see Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson taking on the mantle of Captain America. 
At the same time, uh, Bucky Barnes is also another character who has taken on the mantle of Captain America as well. So it's a toss-up as to if we really say goodbye to Steve Rogers, whether it's because he maybe dies or just decides to retire or whatever, that maybe one of those characters will step up to become the new Captain America. Um, Considering the credit scene from the end of Black Panther, there's a bit of a hint as to which way they might go. Um, can we get into that at all, or is that too spoilery for you, now? You know what? Okay, let's let's get into spoilers now. So if you have not seen Black Panther, you know you want to turn this off and not listen until until you've seen the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie, what what are you doing with yourself? Go see the movie. Uh, so okay, we're gonna get into spoilers. Go ahead. So the final credit scene in Black Panther uh, takes place in Wakanda, and it sees Shuri uh, having a scene with Bucky Barnes. And he uh, he still doesn't have his uh, metal arm that he used to have. Um, and it clear, it's clearly he's been recovering. And sure, he's been doing something with him, whether it's training or helping get rid of the brainwashing uh, that was done to him in the, in the past. But she's been working with him somehow. What's interesting is that the kids who are nearby this hut that he's been staying in refer to him as White Wolf. And that could easily maybe just be some kind of Easter egg or something like that. But White Wolf is a character in Marvel Comics. And it would stand a reason that maybe uh, Bucky Barnes could take on the mantle of White Wolf. And that could be his route uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that would leave uh, Captain America for Falcon, right? Exactly. Uh, interesting. Um Another thing I want to talk about, there's this uh, Photoshop going around that from a guy named Boss Logic on Twitter. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, and it shows Shuri as Ironheart. Uh, Ironheart being uh, the replacement for Iron Man in the comics was a uh, it was a young black woman, right? Uh, and they called her Ironheart. Is that is that how it goes, Brad? Yeah, her name's yeah her name's Riri Williams, and uh, I believe she's like an MIT student and. She's always looked up to Stark, and she takes on the mantle of Iron Man, and her name is Ironheart. So would you like to see Shuri become the next Iron Man? Yeah, I mean, and this this kind of goes um, along with what it seems like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has planned for its future as well, because if, if Iron Man's also stepping aside, maybe they need someone to take on the mantle of Iron Man as well. And while uh, Shuri has become Black Panther in the comics, it doesn't seem like... Black Panther's really going to go anywhere anytime soon since his franchise is just getting kicked off. And I can't imagine Marvel trying to kick Chadwick Boseman out of the Black Panther suit so quickly. So if anything, this would be the perfect opportunity to set Shuri up as a replacement for Tony Stark. And she can become, you know, her own superhero as well. I, I think that would be a cool thing to do, especially because Shuri has shown she is every bit as brilliant as Tony Stark with what she can do with technology. Okay, we we don't know what's going to happen in Infinity War and Avengers Four, but we we kind of get the the idea that there's going to be some big stakes. There's going to be some big deaths. You know, we know Captain America, Thor, and uh, Tony Stark. There, uh, those actors' contracts are are kind of up. Uh, we don't know what their future is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you know, it's being speculated that uh, there there might be a lot of loss in this in this in this Infinity War. Um, so I'm wondering. You know, with that happening, does this leave Black Panther and maybe Doctor Strange as the new face of the MCU? Chris, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, uh, it could happen. I mean, Black Panther is such a huge hit. I could definitely see that happening now. If you had asked me 
a year ago, I would be unsure. But uh, yeah, that could definitely uh, happen. And, you know, I, I think there's like a knee jerk reaction against that to be like, oh, they're not as well known. But, you know, the, the Marvel characters everyone loves now were not as quote unquote well known by movie audiences when they first launched and look at them now. So it, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, and, and Captain Marvel. So, like, I, I feel like this lineup is gonna the the Phase Four lineup is gonna look completely different. Um, yeah, I would also throw in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp in there as well, um, especially with Evangeline Lilly's Hope Van Dyne getting a, an increased role in the MCU. I would not be surprised to see her take uh, a, a larger role in these movies going forward. You know, maybe even crossing over into some of the other films. You know, sort of how. Uh, Iron Man was in Spider-Man Homecoming, that kind of thing. Um, one person I wanted to talk about uh, when seeing this film, and we're not going to do like a review of Black Panther here. You can, you know, read that on the site. You can uh, go to the Slash Filmcast. They have a you know long episode delving into the review. We're just talking about the how this film impacts the future of the MCU. And while I was watching Black Panther, I was interested that they revealed that Martin Freeman's character Everett K. Ross uh, was an Air Force pilot in his past. And when they first brought that up, I'm like, oh, my God, they're setting up, you know, him to be in Captain Marvel, which takes place in the 1990s and in the Air Force. Um, But later in the film, it came to, uh, you know, it it came to pay off in the climactic uh, battle of the film. So I'm wondering, uh, Ben, do you think do you think this is setting up Ross for a role in Captain Marvel? Uh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And I think because that movie takes place in the in the 90s and there aren't really that many opportunities for crossover potential um, at that point on the timeline. And we we know that Samuel L. Jackson is going to have both eyes in the movie as Nick Fury. But really beyond that, I, I'm not sure what other um, uh, MCU characters you could pull in that would make sense with the story that I guess we don't fully know what story they're telling exactly in the Captain Marvel movie, but based on the comics and and sort of everything that we can infer about it so far, um, it doesn't really make too much sense to pull in many of the other characters from the MCU, except somebody like Ross who they might need to recast, or maybe they could just sort of age, uh, age Martin Freeman down just a little bit. But, um, but yeah, seeing him in his sort of earlier days, uh, would make a ton of sense. So I was thinking the same thing when I was sitting there in the theater. And when I was talking to uh, Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall about this, uh, he he wondered if Ross is the new Agent Coulson. Chris, what do you think about that? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, that could happen. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know. That seems... I don't know, I, I, I Personally, I would like it if... <laughs> the Marvel movies sort of doing things differently instead of just fitting characters into already established sort of roles. But that maybe that's me, but any, anything is possible with, with this franchise. Um, they, they, you know, they're, they're making it up as it go. They can always uh, do that if they want to. Okay. So one thing coming out of black Panther, I was thinking about the future of the MCU and I was thinking about now that the whole world has, Wakanda's overpowered tech. Uh, what does this mean for stakes in the MCU and in Infinity War? Like now that uh, you know the whole world can basically heal someone at a state of you know they should be dead. Um, how does that change this world, Brad? Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, you know, part of me wonders if the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe may flash forward a bit. 
after the events of Infinity War. Um, as it stands, we've it's basically been present day, you know, for uh, as far as uh, when these movies are taking place. Like they're taking place in essentially what would be our world. Uh, a little bit more advanced technology, but that's you know common for movies like this that superhero movies or sci-fi movies um and i think it would be interesting if with this introduction of uh wakanda's technology and their use of vibranium and all the how versatile of a substance it is um if we flash forward a bit to a bit more of a futuristic uh earth and where you know this technology has been spread more so across uh the world and we're looking at a place you know maybe where uh, other superheroes like in the way that Iron Man is now established as a superhero and, and Spider-Man and, and whatnot, maybe heroes like Black Panther and others like Captain Marvel are already a little bit more established. So that way we don't have to worry too much about um, other origin stories for other superheroes. I don't know. That's just me spitballing kind of off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think that would be, it would be interesting to see uh, a, a a flash forward to a, a time in the future um, in the MCU. But I, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, I love the sentiment that that, you know, what they do, but giving the tech to the world and not being selfish with it and what Ryan Coogler is trying to say with that. But I'm wondering if this basically breaks the universe. Do I mean, like, does this give everybody tech that, uh, Ben, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, I think if I think just because Wakanda decides at the end of the movie to uh, share this technology with the rest of the world, I don't necessarily think that that means that they have um, decided to give the the world all uh, you know every piece of vibranium that they have, and and I think there's still going to be some measure of control in sort of divvying out that technology. So I don't necessarily think, I mean, I understand what you're saying that because this technology exists out there and because more people have access to it, yes, that does make it more likely that uh, it can be used to reverse, um, you know, what would otherwise be a fatal injury for someone. But I'm just not sure the extent to which Wakanda is going to share the wealth uh, immediately. Maybe we'll, maybe that could be um, part of the conflict in a Black Panther 2. You know, somebody somebody essentially saying that we shouldn't be, you know, the decision has been made to share this tech with the world, but maybe somebody saying, hey, we should save a little bit for us. Uh, that may be, you know, I guess re... Uh, retreading some of the same ground that was uh, that was covered thematically in the first film, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I didn't really immediately go to that extreme thought, Peter. But um, but you have a point. You, you might be onto something there. And uh, I'm not sure if you can talk about this. We, we, yesterday we played uh, your interview with Ryan Coogler, the director and writer, and I know during that interview you were asking about this. Yes. Yeah, I can I can talk about okay. it. So I I uh tr- I tried to ask him about the the future of the MCU, like what that decision looked like, you know, if Kevin Feige had to step in and approve um you know, because it has such a potentially large impact on the future of the MCU. And his publicist, his handler, um basically shut me down and said we can't talk about anything uh, that is spoiler related, you'll have to email me that question and then I will sort of get it approved and get back to you <laughs> if 
if we can, and I've never had that happen before in an interview before, like in the middle of an interview, I actually had to edit that section out of the, of the audio that I played on the, on the podcast yesterday. Yeah. But, um, and you never so, heard back ever. Again. And yeah, I sent it off and they were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll send it to the right people. And I just haven't heard anything back. So, um, obviously Ryan Coogler's really busy, you know, traveling around the world, uh, showing this movie off in all these different countries and stuff. So, um, the last I heard was I was supposed to hear an answer back last week and just never heard anything. So I'm guessing my question didn't get approved. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to note that Kevin Feige wasn't doing interviews at the junket, probably more so because of the Fox Disney deal and not wanting to, uh, you know, talk about that or, or have all these questions about infinity war at this point. Um, but, uh, one other thing watching this movie, the first half of this movie and being, uh, immersed in this culture and world of Wakanda uh I, you know it was just so great and I was wondering uh you know if I was Disney and I was creating this streaming service with you know they've already said they're doing Star Wars TV shows they're going to do Marvel TV shows I would do what Wakanda the TV series Chris would you watch that yes absolutely um one of the things I liked most about Black Panther was that it created this whole new world and it sort of stood uh, alone from the rest of the MCU. You know, nothing against the MCU already, but I liked that this was creating something. It wasn't just more of the same. It was it was taking this, whatever you want to call it, cinematic universe to a whole new place. So I would love to see more stories in general just in that world. Now, on Friday, Ben, you published an article called uh, "Why Bla- or, <laughs> titled Why Black Panther Doesn't Contain Any Infinity Stones. Uh, what did we learn there? Yeah, so in an interview with IGN, Ryan Coogler was asked if there were ever any plans to include the final Infinity Stone in Black Panther. And he said, uh, quote, I love the Infinity Stones as much as any comic book fan. It's just Wakanda already had its thing, which is vibranium. For us, that was special enough. So to throw in something like another special thing didn't feel right. It felt like we should stick with our one MacGuffin for the country and explore that. Let that be the important thing, because frankly, we didn't need to have another piece like that. So... Yeah, I think Black Panther probably already had enough on its plate with the, you know, as Chris was talking about, the whole introduction of Wakanda and really taking you to a whole new new place in the Marvel Universe um, and and making Wakanda feel like a, a real lived in place with its own history and traditions. Throwing an Infinity Stone in there is exactly the kind of thing that got Iron Man 2 in trouble. You know, it's, it's those kinds of uh, forced connections that I feel like... Um, bring the you know put unnecessary weight on individual movies within the mcu um yeah peter i know i know you're interested in in wondering if the the final infinity stone is actually somewhere on wakanda um and in this article i i run down where each of the infinity stones are right now uh and at this point in the mcu timeline i don't think that this one is on wakanda because the other thing that kugler said in that interview was that Marvel was never really interested in putting a stone in his movie uh, either. So for me, that it seems unlikely that there would be a stone that was sitting there that would maybe emerge in Infinity War or something. My theory, as such as it is, is that maybe one of Thanos' uh, children or minions, one of the, what are they called, the Black Guard or something Black like that? Order. The Black Order. Maybe one of them actually brings the final stone to Thanos in, in the beginning of infinity war or, or at some point during that movie. So I just, I find it hard to believe that 
we would visit Wakanda and then in the next movie discover that uh, an Infinity Stone has been sitting there the whole time. Well, I'm I'm going to actually disagree with you there. And I think that the infinite final Infinity Stone is in Wakanda and we just don't know about it yet. Um, because something like that would be something that would likely be kept extremely secret. Maybe even more secret than you know, the vibranium supply, which everybody in Wakanda knows about. This could be one of those things where maybe like only the upper echelons of uh, the royal family or whatever know about, especially because, and this is based on uh, speculation from the toys that have been revealed so far, but there are a couple of Lego sets that deal with the battle on Wakanda. And when one of them has one of... uh, You're talking about for Infinity War, right? Yes. Uh, one, of, ha, one of them has one of Thanos' adopted children using some kind of device to break through a wall that is on Wakanda somewhere. So part of me wonders if maybe there's a research facility somewhere on Wakanda where they have the stone. Maybe they don't know what it is and that's and it's there and the, uh, they find out about it. Because otherwise, why is there a battle happening on Wakanda between all of those Avengers that we saw in that final shot of the trailer and the uh, the Black Order and also all those aliens. So that like there has to be yeah. something there that they want, and I feel like it has to be an Infinity Stone. Yeah, there <laughs> has to be a reason of some kind. Uh, you know, I I think fans have been speculating for a long time that you know Wakanda has vibranium because you know uh, maybe there is an Infinity Stone in that area that has been you know been there for you know uh, centuries that has you know created that uh that material that basically has allowed them to be such uh uh future tech um and that's there's also also speculation that because the the final one that we haven't found yet i believe is the soul stone that that might be the reason why wakandans have such a connection to their ancestors and they're able to converse with them and speak with them like in the spirit world my my theory is the soul stone is in the ground where we see those purple those weird purple flowers that uh, are ground up and you know Black Panther drinks to become you know Black Panther. Uh, mm-hmm. I I that's my theory, but uh, but yeah, so, but the Infinity Stones weren't in the movie. You wrote this article on the site. Uh, I would say a dozen people were very angry with this this headline. Ben. Um, they, they thought it was a spoiler. Um, and, you know, uh, is a spoiler, you know, I don't want to get sidetracked on the spoiler discussion <laughs> that we keep on going back to, but is a spoiler something that isn't in the movie? Like, like if, if I'm telling you, you know, Thanos is not in Black Panther, is that a spoiler? Um, I don't think that's a spoiler. I, I think, you know, it's, I guess it's a, f- it's a fine uh, distinction there. I, I think the idea that like if the trailers had strongly hinted at the possibility of an Infinity Stone being in Wakanda or or in this movie in any way, and then for me to have a headline that says why Black Panther did, doesn't contain any Infinity Stones, I guess that would be a spoiler, I, I think. Yeah. Um, but well, maybe well, just as not... is. I'm saying yeah, we're, we're, we're also not being like assholes and just, you know running that as a headline it's brian coogler doing pre press for the movie before the movie has come out talking about why it is not in the movie so i feel like it's it's fair game and i think people have 
people in the spoiler phobic society have if i think we've forgotten what a spoiler is a, a spoiler is something that spoils your enjoyment of the movie or story right so at no time in this movie is your is your or in the story is your enjoyment spoiled by the fact that you know that there is not an infinity stone in this movie yeah i would actually argue that your enjoyment of the movie can be increased because you don't have to worry about the baggage that an infinity stone brings to the <laughs> to this movie you know what i mean like if they introduce or, or the, the disappointment stone, if you're like looking forward to it you're like i it's gonna be it's all gonna come together that we're gonna find out the final infinity stone and you yeah. go see the movie you're disappointed yeah yeah um yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously we think it's fine, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's let's move on because we have a couple more things to get to, and that is um, uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up is, and I'm wondering if any of you have connected the dots here, but uh, the black market arms dealer Ulysses Claw uh, smuggled large amounts of vibranium out of Wakanda and sold them on the black market. We're not told when that happened. We see the opening scene in 1992 when um, – you know they they kind of uh, meet them in in what was it Brooklyn or New York or no Oakland sorry Oakland, Oakland. yeah yeah Oakland um, and uh, it, it got me thinking because you know he he they did sell a lot of vibranium who did they sell the vibranium to and I I looked this up Howard Stark was killed was assassinated in December nineteen ninety one. Uh, so a month or two before that opening scene of Black Panther. So I'm wondering, uh, do you, uh, Brad, do you think uh, that is how Howard Stark got the vibranium for Captain America's shield? No, because the shield was, well, no, I don't think that would really line up because Claw would have have to have been pretty young. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been, had, had been much earlier. Yeah, because that would have been in the in the forties, right? So, and that and that that's when Howard gave him his shield during World War II. So, I don't think so. I think Claw's too young for that. Okay, let, let me let me redo the question then. Uh, do you think <laughs> that we're gonna find out that uh, Howard Stark fits into this whole? You know, we we have the trifecta of you know of Bucky and Howard Stark and Captain America and you know all that thing do you think we're gonna gonna get this to be even like uh, more of a you know fourth foursome or fivesome and find out that uh, Howard Stark was involved in buying um, you know illegal vibranium at some point um Gosh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what it would accomplish storytelling-wise. Um, what, I mean, what, it, it might put some tension between Tony and Black Panther, right? Or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so, but it's... Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, that would be interesting, but I just don't know what purpose it serves when the whole point of Infinity War is bringing everybody together. Like, I guess it would create, uh, you know... It would make it a little bit interesting because, you know, they would have to put aside their differences to work together to fight Thanos. But I just I don't know what that does for each of their characters and how they relate to each other and just creating conflict that will, you know, that is based on something that happened in the past that neither of them had any control over. Yeah, yeah um, it almost seems like it might be a, like a little bit too much of a retread of some of the stuff that happened in Civil War, just with like a, a different inciting incident and, and maybe two different players there, um, you know, with Captain America and Black Panther in this case. But yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, 
we might find out that maybe there's a little bit more of a of a history to like the the work that Howard Stark was doing, um, and and stuff like that. But I don't think it'll be anything that'll create any sort of conflict. Okay, I guess lastly, you know, people are probably already wondering, you know, what's going to happen in Black Panther two. Um, I'm wondering, you know, who do you think might be the sequel for? I mean, who 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 do you think might be the villain for the sequel? Chris, do you have any thoughts? I don't know. It's going to be really hard to top uh, the character of Killmonger, who is like without question the best Marvel villain yet. I mean, Marvel is everyone knows Marvel has had trouble with their villains and their films where they're just not that interesting. And this character, he's he's sort of like the first villain who has this complete arc. So I really don't know how they're going to top that, but uh, I'm curious to see who it'll be. I don't think it'll be anyone who's already been established. I do think it's going to be someone completely new to the story just because I can't picture any of the characters in the current film, you know, becoming a big main villain in the sequel. Ben, do you have any thoughts? Um, Maybe Daniel Kaluuya's character might, you know, if he teams up with somebody else, I think he's the only person that I can that I can fathom because he he turned against T'Challa so quickly in uh, Black Panther, even though they were supposed to be, you know, supposed to be really good friends. Um, I I wonder if that was just a result of uh, some stuff being left on the cutting room floor in terms of that character's arc or if that is uh, is maybe sort of. um, indicative of that character's uh, mentality and, and willingness to uh, swap sides should a better opportunity present, present itself. So I, I wonder if he could be, um, and you know, it certainly doesn't hurt that Daniel Kaluuya is like <laughs> the Oscar nominated for get yeah. out. So uh, the idea of bringing him back will probably be uh, attractive to Marvel um, and giving him a, a beefier role might be uh, something that I could see, uh, a decision that that I could see them making, but um, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's too early to speculate why uh, any of those characters might turn against him at this point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Black Panther, as great as the mythology is of Wakanda and that world and those characters, uh, he doesn't have a great rogues gallery of villains. Uh, Brad, what do you think about a villain for Black Panther Two? Uh, one of the interesting things I uh, read online that. Could be, uh, is a kind of is a theory as well as just kind of a I think just a pipe dream, um, but the Marvel Comics uh, character uh, Namor the Submariner could make for an interesting Black Panther two villain because he's uh, his character initially is kind of this antihero who causes uh, destruction and kind of creates creates havoc before he you know becomes more of a, a hero later on, um, but he. He's he's got a villain uh, a villain history and it would be interesting to see that come to fruition if only because uh, there's a little bit of an Easter egg in Iron Man two where there's a map that Tony Stark is looking at and one of the it's all spots of intrigue and they tie to Hulk um, the the battle that happened on college campus in Virginia I think that was and then where Thor's hammer was found in New Mexico there happens to be one in Africa that is the location of Wakanda. But then there's also one that is out in the middle of the ocean that has a lot of people thinking that it was an Easter egg reference to Namor at some point maybe being introduced. So it'd be kind of interesting to see him brought into this, uh, the stable as a villain somehow, especially because Marvel doesn't really have uh, an aquatic superhero like DC does that they've introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. 
Okay, I think that does our discussion of Black Panther and how it uh, will fit into the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me at Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter and at the slash film dot com all the time. And uh, listen to my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other I- podcast places. Ben, where can people find more of your work? Slashfilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can we find you? Also, Slashfilm.com, and on Twitter at C Evangelist of 413. You can f- read more of all the stories we mentioned today and s- the stuff I mentioned that I was going to put in the show notes in the show notes. Uh, this podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Help spread the word. Tell your friends. And we will see you tomorrow.